I had headphones in. I couldn't hear you, so I thought, oh, sorry, I'll take him out. It doesn't matter. No worries. Right. Tibzino. Chris Tibzino. Um, right, what do you do on his Facebook malarkey? Give me these yes, so go to Alex Myers or go to The Better Man and then uh, you should see the video of us talking. You can share that to your crew. Hold on. There we are. Right, I'm now going to share. Yeah, you share that. Share now to public. Okay, share to my profile and I need to change to... Uh, my page. Okay. And then I need to go to you. SMR. If you're listening to this, Chris is just sharing to I'm his just... page. This, this is the downside to being um, a coach who works on social. You, you, you do everything. You become a salesman, a marketer. Ah, there we are. Share to page. Cool. We're good? We're all good. There we go. So that's my personal page and my Facebook page. Fantastic. Right. Go on, the, man, the man with a million nicknames. Not as many as Paul Tinker, but I'm getting there. <laughs> Tib- Tibzilla. Uh, dude, obviously, look, we're going to talk about the incredible journey that you've had that's seen you lose 100 kilograms. Uh, and yet, when you sent me that document that time, I sent it straight back to you and said, Chris, there's a typo on your document because you were going to do a presentation for my guys i said dude it says you've lost 100 kilos that can't be right and you were like no it it really is so well, actually, I said, no, you're right it should be 110 100 <laughs> round there it's just insane so we'll talk about that but look you've made the transition from the corporate world into the coaching world so now you are a coach to those who suffered with, with similar issues to yourself right uh, emotional eating coach so dude what's been the biggest um, challenge for you from taking that transition from the the security of the the corporate world into this this world of the unknown where you're now kind of working for yourself and coaching others on a on onto a similar path uh the six figure salary <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've got, mate. yeah as coaches don't always earn that well, yeah, it was really nice when somebody used to just like drop the money in my bank account every month and I not need to worry about it, whereas now I've actually got to go and find the money. But it's it's enjoyable. So I think I think it's like all things, it's learning a new set of skills, you know. Um it's learning to move from that comfort zone of of being uh somebody who is well respected, knows their job, um uh to then actually being a nobody. The problem with those jobs that you're referring to, yeah, you almost climb a ladder, even if it's one that you don't want to be on, right? Like, and you get, you know, you get better pension, you get the better the, the better wage, you get more respect, you get more authority. So, like, what what took you out of that world? What what was the point where you said, you know what, fuck this, man, this ain't for me. I'm going to go and coach other people. I just get a handle on their eating. Um, basically, uh, it's all your fault. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Um. So I. I think lockdown happened last year, got furloughed and gave me an opportunity to not be flying around the world like a lunatic um, to really look at what I wanted to do myself as a person. Um, and it's really, we talk about the values determination test that, you know, I know you told the DX guys and we you, you had a session with them and I did one at the beginning of lockdown and then I did one towards... September, yeah, September time when they were saying, "Oh, you might be going back to work." Or, oh, yeah, sorry, August. They said August. There's a likelihood you could be made redundant. 
I thought, all right, okay. So there's another value determination test then. And then we said, I'm not happy with my job. Um, if they give me the money, great. Um, and I can just jump ship and then they can go and work. Um, and the plan was just to go back to doing what I did before the corporate job, just become a management consultant and, you know, go and do projects, get paid, then have a couple of months off, then do another project and get paid. Um, until you very kindly asked me to do a speech to your DX guys. Um, and I had, and God's honest truth, I had an epiphany. I was actually doing the slide and I realized, actually, this is what I want to do. And then when I delivered the session, I realized, actually, it's not what I want to do, it's what I have to do. Mm. So I have to help people who are in the same situation I was in. I don't want anyone to go through that that I went through. Yeah, I mean, when somebody loses 100 kilograms, I'm like, you ha- like, I don't think you have an option. Like, you have to end up in the world where you're helping other people do the same. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not that like we're talking a few pounds, we're not talking a few stone. We're talking about another human. Dude, I weigh 86 kilograms, mm-hmm. so you, you lost me. Yeah. Are you saying it was up to 110 kilograms? Is that right? Yeah, so if you take my lightest weight, which was locked down last year, yeah, I've lost my biggest weight loss from heaviest to lowest is 111 kilos yeah that, yeah like i said that's me and 20 kilos it's an insane amount of weight so as soon as i heard that i was like i've got to get to know who this chris tibbetts guy is because i you know i saw pictures of you and even the pictures don't do that justice it doesn't look like you've lost that much so straight away like there's a sign of somebody's character when they when they lose that amount of weight so typically do like the kind of people that you're helping we, we you know you use the word emotionally in what what does emotional eating mean? What's the difference between somebody who's just overweight and somebody who emotionally eats? Well, we look at three sort of categories. There's the emotional eater who, uh, as it states, eats with their emotions. And they can be happy emotions, sad emotions, angry emotions, um, depressed. Um, and there are a range of them. And, and they're the emotional eater who will just eat food. Then you've got the binge eater and a binge eater who is somebody who eats to excess past being full, you know, it just eats everything and probably without even thinking what they're eating. Um, and they, But to be a binge eater, you're doing that two or three times a week. The person who just has a big blowout on a Friday night is not a binge eater. Uh, just a greedy person. I even watch my language. I noticed that. I watched my language. I didn't say, um, anyway, they're just, you know, they're just greedy. But somebody who is consistently eating too many and, and mindlessly eating. This is somebody who will eat a pack of biscuits, not even really a pack of biscuits, but that's not enough. And they'll eat their meal and then they'll eat something else and they eat something else and they eat until they're so stuffed they can't. Think. And But then they'll have the shame, the guilt, and else. So that's a binge eater. And then there's the overeater. So an overeater is somebody who consistently eats to excess every day. Um, and they're not some, you know, they're, they're doing that because they're consistently doing it. And it's just, you know, you could say, well, that's most overweight people because they're eating more calories than they need. But this is an overeater, somebody who will just eat every day and they'll always consume more calories. And it's and it's a, a planned thing in their head. They have to have that big portion. They have to eat till they're full. They're always eating until they are full. So in your line of work, what would you say was the, the, the simplest one to fix, the easiest one versus the one that's the most complex? The emotional eater is the easiest one to fix. Okay, tell me more. Because I, I would have assumed it was the other way around. 
No, the emotional eater is the easiest one to fix because actually you can, if you work on somebody's emotions and what their triggers are, then actually you can mitigate it and you can work away from it. So again, if you know somebody is going to emit emotionally because they're triggered by a food advert, well, guess what? You can eliminate that. You know, you can find distraction techniques. You can find things to get away from it. So, and you can be aware of the triggers around emotionals, emotion things. Whereas binge eating is a lot harder because that's a learned behavior. And that's something that's always going to be there. And when that binge takes over, then actually you've got a real, it's a real battle. You can use all the distraction techniques, but if you are in the mind of binge, you will just, you really have to work hard to beat that because once it starts, you can't pull away from it and it's a really hard thing to treat. I used to love a good binge. It took me probably eight, eight to 10 years, I'll say, to get over that binge, binge eating pattern. Join me, mate. I'd have got you done in about three and a half months. I know, mate. Well, like you say, until somebody like yourself comes along and kind of breaks down the difference between binge, um, emotional, and just overeating, you kind of like sometimes you 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 go through these cycles, look back and think, oh shit, I didn't even realise I had an issue, but I did one, I couldn't stop, and two, it wasn't just like you say, a bit of greed. It was it was planned for days and it was a mission to go to the supermarket, and it was physically as much as I could get into my gob. Uh, before I was sick. And did you notice, and then one we don't because it's overeating. So, and this is, in my journey, I went from being a binge eater to then becoming an overeater to then actually coming back once I got treated for overeating, I then went to the other end of the scale, so I went anorexic. Okay. Because my treatment was so, too effective that I went, oh, I'm going to restrict calories, and restrict calories, and then... I went to that mentality of like my game was to only get by on a thousand calories a day. That's what I had to do. And bear in mind, if you've gone from consuming five or 6,000 calories a day to then getting yourself level and going, right, this is a game now, I'm going to hit a thousand. Yeah, that's crazy. And I don't know why I'm surprised because in, in the line of work that we do, we will always see people probably going from, you know, one extreme to another, right? So, you know, compulsively overeating to suddenly becoming this person who's going to attempt this, extremely mm. regimented strict diet so the approach that you've got then chris with, with the emotional eating mm. and i'm guessing that this could apply to other things that are emotional emotional drinking yeah, yeah emotional yeah. drinking so basically if you go have any emotional issue whether it's you know eating drinking working working let's talk about addictions i love this conversation right so there's, there's a hierarchy of addictions right at entry level you sort of um, third division, you know, mm-hmm. where Sunday play. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mr. Mort. Um, you've got working, overwork. Right? That's, your, that's your entry-level addiction, right? Most people have that, right? Then you cool. move up to um, your sort of, I'd say, first division addiction, which is then is you're looking at sex. Um, you're looking at uh, gambling to a certain extent. Okay. Uh, sorry? It puts sex above work in that category, yeah. Yeah. Work is entry-level addiction. Okay. And from that, though, it spreads to other things. Okay. And then, then you then you start looking at, at food. You know, so you've got sex, gambling, food are, are, the next, are sort of the first division. Then you move up into sort of the Premier League, which is your alcohol and soft drugs. So, you know, and then you move into your Champions League, which is the hard drugs. 
Yeah. There's a hierarchy of addiction that, that you move your way through. And quite often, if you don't treat them, you just bounce from one up, up, up. Now, I'm not saying everybody who's addicted to food is going to become a really, you know, heroin junkie, but that's the sort of addictive traits and behavior that you move through the hierarchy of addictions. So and when you're working, working with someone like Chris and you help them with their emotional eating, does, yeah. is it quite common then for them to go and find something else to... Yeah, if you don't treat it, if you solve one of the issues, so if you think, and you probably see it lots of time, right? A lot of people who emotionally eat or binge eat will then comp- compensate by gym. Yeah. And they'll go, right, I'm going to overwork. I'm going to overtrain because I've ate all this food. I'm purging now. I'm, and, and they're purging. People think purging is just throwing up or laxatives. No, purging is to fire exercise as well. And over-exercising is as bad a outcome from binge eating as you know people who purge it's a similar activity so <laughs> so if you think and then quite often if you solve the, and people who have an emotional eating problem will often quite often then have the same they'll move into alcohol because you're just replacing something because you're replacing that that you're not solving the underlying issue that's caused you to have this emotional response mm. So, it makes, yeah. it, it, it makes total sense. Would you not argue the fact that it's like pick your poison kind of thing, like, and you can pick like something that you know does, like, for example, we had Mike Moore on hmm. last week, and he's now you know super dedicated. Not, I wouldn't say obsessed. It's not. It's, it's probably not a fair comparison, but he has to go all in on something, right? Hmm. Probably a bit like me. Probably a bit like you. Like we like to to give our best or all our attention to something. So how do you work with somebody that, um, yeah, might have been all in on emotional eating or binge eating, and then when we take that away and they feel like there might not be much left, do you then kind of help these people try and figure out like a new path, a new career, a new energy? Yeah, and I think that's where, again, you know, I can coach anybody on dealing with their emotional triggers, dealing with their all those issues such as that, and and – saying, okay, here's your triggers, here's your food journal, here's your diary. But actually, that's when the mindset piece comes in because actually if we don't solve what's driving them, all you're going to do is say, hey, don't emotionally eat, but I'm going to start drinking then. Mm. Or I'm going to play on my Xbox. Or I'm going to become an excessive exerciser because I'm going to replace that that you've sold, told me I can't do anymore or you fixed with something else. So you have to look at the whole sort of mindset of, of dealing with this. And, and it's about replacing it. So again. If somebody is eating out of boredom, well, you need to replace something that's instead of food. But you have to be very conscious giving them something to replace it with that doesn't, you know, go down and well, I'll have a drink instead, or I'll have, you know, or I'll go and work out instead. They've got it's got to be a sort of holistic approach where you're, you know, sound very hippie here. You know, you're looking at the mind, body, and soul. Mm-hmm. If I just fix the mind. You know, then all they'll do is they'll push it in some other direction or they'll start looking, you know, they'll go crazy on relationships. So it could be just, yeah, you just have to be really careful. So what did you do when you, um, when you went through your own journey in terms of like, so the position that you've got now, so where, do, you know, how did you bypass this emotionally in your, in your own journey and what's it led, what path has it led you onto that you wouldn't have been on if you were uh, carried on emotionally? Uh, if I carried on emotionally, I'll be dead. <laughs> um but even then uh, yeah I, 
at 39, I was told I've got six months to live or I could die in my sleep because I had so much weight on my chest. But even that point didn't actually make any difference to me. It didn't, I didn't, that didn't massively say to me that oh, I'm going to have to um, make these changes to my life. Um, I made them, but I didn't actually go, oh, I better not stop this. Because then for another six years after that, I continued to yo yo diet. I continued to lose weight and put it back on, lose weight and put it back on. Why didn't that scare the shit out of you when you're told you've got six months to live? Is that because you're in such a low place that you're like, actually, I didn't, I don't... Yeah, I didn't care. Yeah. I genuinely was like, do you know what? Actually, it might be better. Mm. it might be better to do that and and even then right after my breakdown in when is it 20 yeah 17 in fact four years ago um my breakdown um in fact it's almost time yeah uh two days <laughs> two year, two days a day four years ago um when i realized that my life was basically not far from being over um mm. I then went on a, a sort of path of recovery that probably was harder than actually being the size I was. Because once you enter recovery from any you know, addiction, um, it takes you to places you don't really want to go. And the whole recovery process of working with counsellors, you know, um, I, I tell a story that I broke out the priory after three and a half days because I couldn't handle group therapy and couldn't handle some therapist who's like nine stone, just out of college, telling me things. and says, have you ever had a Krispy Kreme donut? No, no, I don't like them. Well, I had 12 at three o'clock in the morning just before I arrived here. So I would know if you started to tell me that follow this process is going to work because you've never walked in my shoes. Okay. Um, so yeah, after three and a half days, yeah, broke out, broke out of, sorry, I broke out of a clinic in the Southeast of London, the Southeast of England. I can't actually say the name, but we've said it now. So <laughs> it wasn't, you know, if you were told, look, you got six months to live, maybe, you know, with, you know, with 111 kilos extra on you that you don't need. And still you were like, do you know what? I don't really give a fuck. What was it that then made you go on this epic journey to lose all that weight? Well, when you look at the original photograph of me, you see me um, with a fake smile on my face because that was just me. I, I used my fat skit, my my size, to mask my real unhappiness. Mm-hmm. And I kidded myself because I'd lost weight when they told me I had to. I never really thought I was going back up to that size. So I used to be very good at Luke getting down to around 17, 18 stone. And being the size I was, 18 stone, I probably look quite healthy. And when you when you're 33 stone, you look fucking fit as anything. Um, but I used to fluctuate between sort of 18 stone and 24 stone. But when I had my breakdown in 2017, I was then, I went into overeating overdrive and I had gone back up to 27 stone. And I saw that photograph of me and I thought, that's the same guy I saw in 2011. Looking back at me, same face, same expression. He is fucking ready to die. And he'd actually died. I could see that. I saw the eye, my eyes. Thought I've died inside already. I need to do something about it. And and I thought, okay. I, I took my standard approach. Right, I'll go to the gym. I'll get a PT. I'll do all this. But that never worked because it wasn't solving anything for me. It wasn't making me any better. It it was just it was masking. Like we said about you know, it was masking that. Yeah, I, I had a PT who said eat this, do this, restrict calories. But I, it wouldn't change him because my focus had switched from being the emotional eater to I'm going to work out, I'm going to follow this diet. I hadn't fixed anything though. 
I think this is why every PT, myself included, ends up going into the to the mindset coaching realm. Yeah. Because we, we learn after five, ten years that you're not going to fix somebody by telling them to do sets and reps. It's just not going to work. You see people go through the same continuous patterns over and over again. So look, dude, I'm guessing that, like, you know, you were still young when you were carrying all this weight. So things hadn't cramped up. So, like... When when did you like realize that I might have an issue with food? At what age? Like, how far are we looking back when you when it were when food was such an important part for you? Um, probably from so I I know this because um, I've done the work on it. Uh, nine years old. So my brother had a, a road traffic accident in a school minibus, uh, and he's paralyzed from the sort of neck down. And almost overnight, um, I lost my parents because their focus had to be on, on him and he was in hospital for 12, 18 months. So I was then, uh, for, I think for six months, uh, I went to go and stay with my brother's best friend who just lived across the road from us. Uh, lovely woman, absolutely wonderful woman, caring to a T, but she used food as, as either a comfort when it was, when you were sad, you had food when you, uh, when you were happy, it was food, and that was just a way, you know. Um, and she had this amazing knack. One, she was an amazing cook, right? Um, but she just had this amazing, like, a bit like a, you remember Mr. Ben from when we were kids? Who? Mr. Ben. Uh, okay, basically, he used to go into this costume shop and change, and this the owner of the shop used to just magically appear. Uh, so this, this is Barbara. She'd magically appear with food. <laughs> Knowing that I would have a happy she's like, magic me. Here's a, here's, a, here's a cake that I baked today. Oh, okay then. Oh, you're a growing lad. Do you want another slice? Yeah, please. And she'd see I'd be upset. And again, the most wonderful woman in the world, but that started that process that I then associated food, happiness, sadness. It was it was my go-to. And then throughout my life, then I just realized that I used food to mask being unhappy or being either you know if i could live my life gray i would not have a weight problem if i had a gray life with no happiness no sadness and just was gray and a flat line i'd be perfect we all know a feeder as well don't we everyone knows a feeder like feeders get something from feeding people obviously what was this woman's name barbara she sounds amazing, right? As you're telling the story, it's like you can tell she's a warm, kind, oh. yeah. And food is her way of getting that out. So, like, yeah. what what do you think she was getting from this? Was this her way of saying, "I love you" and I want to look after? It was, it was. It was. You've had such a terrible time. Yeah. I'm gonna make sure all your pain goes away. You're not gonna realize that you haven't seen your parents for three weeks. You're not gonna realize I am gonna do everything possible by making all the nicest things you want, all the food you want. Make it all there for you so that you're not feeling sad and lonely. Even at night, you know, if I was worried at night, she'd bring you hot chocolate at night. You know, it was like anything would be there. And it was always happiness. So as an adult, obviously, you know, we can look back and we can rationalise this. And, you know, luck takes over. You know, obviously your brother had a horrendous accident. Your parents needed to be with him. And, and right, rightly so, you can understand that. But I guess as a kid, there's this like, fuck, I've, you know, I've been abandoned here. Like, you know. Um, and, and that proceeded, Alex, because when you think about it, when I moved, when, when my brother came out of hospital and we moved home into a purpose-built plate, you know, they renovated it, 
I then moved into high school, but the focus again was was him, uh, and I was almost. And this is the days before video games, before phone, yeah, but where you used to make your own entertainment. Yeah. Um. So I literally would then to get some sort of connection. I took on from what I had from that uh, was food. So I got to know the people in the bakery and I talked to them, you know, because they were like family. I got to go to one of the fish and chip shop, but I had food, you know, and I, I found my solace in food. Mm. But alongside it, it brought a whole pattern of behaviors that come from somebody who is an addiction in that, you know, at that age, you don't have money. So I used to acquire money from my mum's purse to go and get food. You know, I used to just do that. I, I was even stealing money to buy things that I didn't need. And basically, they, I stacked them up in my room. You know, I'd go to the model shop and buy things and never used them. Uh, and then, obviously, when my mum and dad realised that money was going missing, they went, uh, I showed them it all. I, and then, basically, I had all my Christmas presents for the, for the year because they just gave me and said, there you go. You don't have any Christmas presents. You've already gone out and bought them. <laughs> Um, but but then they created that behavior, and I found connection. I found solace. I found that freedom in food. So were you uh, obviously you were like growing up quite? A, did you start to pile on the weight as soon as you? No, I, no, because um, I was always active, and I was always so. So at eleven, twelve, I was five. I was five foot eleven at eleven years of age. Yeah, it's a big lad. Yeah, yeah, and I was relatively skinnyish. So. It was only when I sort of moved to Wales and went to high school that I started to put weight on. But then it didn't matter because I was just active. I used to play. So at school, because I didn't want to be at home, I played football, I played rugby, I played basketball, I anything. I was literally doing something every night. Yeah. And then when I found when I moved to Wales and I found rugby, I was literally, I would have uh County, I'd have club training Tuesday and Thursday. I'd have county training on a Monday. I'd be down in South Wales for the national team training on a Friday. Uh, then it'd be Saturday uh, playing for the, C- the youth team in the morning and the seniors in the afternoon, which can't happen now. Yeah. Uh, and then Sunday I'd be playing again for the regional team. So I was literally just active. So whatever I ate didn't matter. And I could just plow through food. And it wasn't until I actually got injured that I realised that I had a problem eating. Because training stopped, but training stopped actually just... stopped. My food consumption didn't. Okay, so how old are you at this point then? When you pile, when you start to pile the weight on? Uh, I was seventeen. Yeah, seventeen. Yeah, and and this was fast. Like, did you see like a, a an instant weight gain from the moment that you got injured? Oh yeah, it was almost within like sort of I would say six weeks. I would have put on. Couple of stone, well, stone, no, two stone in six weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, weight, it's a lot of weight in a short amount of time. Yeah, yeah. Because don't forget, at that age of seventeen, I found booze as well. Yeah, I was thinking rugby environment. You know, yeah. one of the lads, I'm guessing that the alcohol was involved as well. Yeah. So you got booze, still eating loads. You haven't done anything about it, and then and then I sort of like had a, I moved away, and went to go and work away, which I thought would break it. And then the problem then was I moved and worked in a hotel, which living in a hotel, you get three square meals a day. And mm. breakfast was basically what was left from the buffet. So you had all this fried breakfast every day, and it was much of it, what was there spare. And again, 
with my behavior it was like great i just over it over it over it did you see the, the 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 body changing in the mirror and did you did you contemplate like doing something about it then or did you just not care i didn't just care i just noticed that i need to get a new pair of trousers every so often because the trousers got too big got then- too small. Yeah, that was it, right? I need bigger trousers. I'm going to go and buy it. I just need bigger trousers. So I go and get the trousers run out. Next time I got the next pair, I thought well, I can't get them. I'll get a bigger pair. So you don't question it. You don't. You don't uh, future pace. You don't think. You know, at what size trousers am I going to stop eating all this food? No, no, not at all. Okay, and it wasn't probably. Uh, I probably didn't deal with my weight issue till my first child was born. So when my first child got born at. I was born, no, probably about 23. Then I thought, right, I need to do something. So I lost weight. Okay. I said, I am world class at losing weight. I have a try and tested method, which is basically cornflakes and tuna fish and mash. Not all in one meal. No, cornflakes at breakfast and then tuna fish and mash in the daytime. Two meals a day. Tuna, Tuna and mashed potato. Yeah. That's all right. Bit of barbecue sauce on that. You've got a meal. Yeah, and and then bre- uh, cornflakes for breakfast. Okay, and you do this, the weight would come off, and then because oh, because of course, when you think about it, even a, even a big thing of smash and a couple of tins of tuna is probably eight hundred calories, and then a big bowl of cornflakes and milk is probably another three. So it's basically about twelve hundred calories a day. Mm. Yeah. So you know, of course, I'm dropping it. <laughs> yeah, and I'm guessing while all this is happening, like careers still, like things still go it, like normal in the world right you're still earn money you're still doing okay in your job like that's not affected yeah, yeah at that point i was working in the family hotel so it didn't really matter so it was like comfortable it was just it was easy you mm-hmm. know um it was really easy and then um then when my second daughter came along i thought all right okay i'd i'd stop losing weight and i started because my wife first wife at the time was a feeder and she used food as a weapon and as a method of showing love but also a weapon against you um and you know she so she didn't like being slim so she put weight back on and of course i followed that process and then madison was due to be born i thought right okay i need to do something like this I need to get slim so try and test the method do that again but then from that point my weight just carried on you know going up going up and then i thought right i need to do something about it so i lost weight again but then i think the turning point would have been <laughs> 2006 was my last weight loss and then from 2006 to 2011 I just went and just piled the weight on what happened for, for that to spiral out of control like that um unhappiness I think just misery just I was working in my own job uh, running my own business quite stressful I was flying back and forth across the world um, I was commuting, you know, I'd basically be out in China for two weeks, fly back, be out in China for two weeks. Um, and again, in China, it was great because, you know, big Western guy, I was big side, everyone loved it. You get lots of adulation, you know, it's like, oh, you know, you big strong man. No, I'm a big fat bastard, but. <laughs> the thing, like, there's an identity attached, isn't there? Like, you know, just yeah. people know you, big, big, the big guy, the big man, it's yeah. like who you become. Yeah, and and yeah, I just did that, and I just traveling backwards and forwards, and just food became food was my friend. You know, it it had been my friend all my life. Because that picture, Chris, of you, where you you know with the stripy t-shirt, yeah. Yeah. was that on an aeroplane or not? Yeah, it was on Airbus A380. Yeah. Dude, how did you even get in the seat? Oh mate, flying first class didn't matter. <laughs> so you could be as big as you wanted; it didn't matter, right? Yeah. 
there is there is an interesting story when i was in south africa um i flew from johannesburg down to cape town and um i the one on the plane it had a fixed seat but like ryanair they have fixed seats don't can't move, they can't move. Yeah. i got into and i literally couldn't get into it and i was saying i need a seatbelt extender and there was massive fracas and basically the chief purser was kicking off she's gonna get me deloaded um going you're too big blah, blah, blah. and it took the captain frankly who was a rugby plan i was out there wales were playing at the same time and he basically told her just put me for so put in business class your fitness seat we need wow. to get off but then i had this whole thing of if you fly again we're going to put you on our because british airways are operating the flight in south africa you go on our no fly zone no fly list or you'll have to buy two seats and yeah it's just horrific Dude, did it? Did anyone at any point say to you, like pull you to the side, whether it be a friends, family, colleague, and say, Chris, like we're worried about you, dude. You're fucking huge. Like you're growing. You're getting bigger. We're worried. Did anyone like pull you to the side and try and speak? Yeah. Any- um, so um, my when is it? Would this be two thousand and seven? Yeah. When I started to put the weight back on in two thousand and seven. Simon Jimson, who I'd worked with and then I worked, moved into consultancy with, he said, I'm really worried about you. Your weight gain, is your, your, the weight you're carrying just isn't healthy. And he's probably the only person who's ever actually done that. Did you, you, and you didn't ask him, right? He just, no. he just approached he just said, I'm really worried about you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I read today that, Chris, it said that you're the best friends in your life for the ones that cause you the most pain, i.e. they're honest with you and tell you when you need to hear something. So I guess he was just trying to look out for you at that point. Yeah, he was, he was. And, <clears throat> and I didn't listen to him, obviously. Um, and then it's interesting because uh, one of the guys in my program, Matt, um, he, we started working together when I'd started to lose the weight in 2011. Uh, and I started working with him in 2012. And when he joined the team, he said, oh, yeah, um, they used to talk about me being really big. And he said, oh, he's lost a lot of weight, but you should have seen his size. He was huge. And Matt told me this, like, when he joined my program, in, and he's joined the the 28-day program on mindset, not weight loss. And he was, like, going, yeah, they were talking about you. He's talking about you, going, you're huge. And for now, you know, you hear people talking about you behind your back. How big were you at your biggest then? So if you, if you lost over 100 kilo, what did you actually weigh? Uh, 212 kilos, 33 and a half stone, 34 stone. 34 stone to fucking hell, Chris. Dude, tell me about some things that, like, like what can't you do at that weight? Like, can you t- tie your shoelaces? Can you... No. Can't like, wipe your ass. You have to put your foot up on the um, toilet seat to wipe your ass. Shit, man. Um, yeah, you, you can't bend down tight. You have to put your foot up somewhere to tie your shoelaces. Uh, you can't... If you drop yeah. something on the floor in the car, you can't reach down and get it. You can't see your own genitalia. Uh, no, I can't see you. I yeah, can't see you. Yep, yeah, can't see that. Um, <laughs> oh, uh, what else? Um, You're having sex at that weight. Um, yeah, ain't fun. All right, okay. Ain't fun. That's hard work, mate. I mean, that's pretty hard work. Uh, yeah, ain't fun. Um, you're very limited on your positions. Let's put it that way, mate. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But life just must be like fucking hard. Like getting upstairs. <laughs> the embarrassment. Yeah, I mean, do you know what's weird though about this, Alex? Is at my heaviest, 
to get out of the house, I was playing golf every day. So I was, okay, sometimes you hide a buggy, sometimes you didn't, but I would literally be going to play golf every day. So I was still active. If you were coaching you yeah. now uh, at your worst point, so, you know, Chris of today meets the, the worst Chris, where, where the fuck would you start with this guy? Uh, where would I start with him? Um, I wouldn't work with him. <laughs> Why, just too much? I wouldn't work with me because no, I, I wasn't ready to, I wouldn't have been ready to accept the help. Yeah. So I wouldn't work with me. Yeah. How do you um, know it's not ready? Is it just through their action, through what they actually do, not what they say? It's almost like, yeah, you, if you, if you think about, again, the whole 12 step program, you've got to have that acknowledgement that enough is enough. You've got to realize that pain is enough because otherwise, if you're not fully committed, you'll just give up. Well, I guess and, the next thing you do was dying. Yeah. So, like when you say you, you know, the pain is enough. This, this is the this is the one thing I I don't think any coaches have been able to to solve. How do you stop people from getting to so much pain and doing so much damage that they then eventually want to change? It's like if you're in the middle, there's often not enough reason. There's not enough pleasure. There's not enough pain. So you had to go to the pain spectrum. I had to go to the pain spectrum. All the people we admire had to go to the pain spectrum. And it's like that's pretty much the standard method of learning for most people. I think it is. But I think in terms of this case, um, and this is what I get quite passionate about, is nobody <clears throat> actually should have to get to the point I got to in eating. There is no need for it. There's absolutely no need for anybody to get to that stage. Because actually, if we dealt with it in the beginning, but again, I'll have my rant here. If I was a gambler, you've seen the adverts, haven't you, on the TV? You know, every single betting company has to pay into the Gam- Gambling Commission, who then fund this, uh, fund Gamblers Anonymous, they fund helplines, they fund, you know, uh, you have to have a break from gambling, they're in the apps, they do all this stuff. There's so much around not gambling, and they advertise on TV. Um, when are they going? When are the government going to turn around to the food companies and the fast food companies and Just Eat and all these other people and say, hold on, that guy there, he's ordered this, like, he spent a £1,000 to Just Eat this month. Is that normal? So what are you saying? That the, the well, go- I'm, what I'm saying is, obviously, that's that's not feasible. What I'm saying is the food industry. So if you think about treatment for eating disorders, right? Mm. Um, if you're lucky, you may get some treatment in six to nine months. Yeah. If we funded it, if the food companies had to pay and they funded it, right, the sugar tax, where does the money for the sugar tax go? Into the Treasury's pockets. It doesn't go into funding obesity. It doesn't go into funding um, eating disorders. No. When when you take your situation, though, right, and I'm going to I'm going to play the devil's advocate here. At like what point do you say, look, dude, it's your responsibility to control what you consume. Everybody has the uh, option of eating these foods. Everybody has the option of eating vegetables. You are deciding. Just like you know, somebody who consumes extra alcohol, somebody mm-hmm. who consumes extra food, somebody who gambles. Like mm-hmm. at what point do do we go? Look, it's always on you. It's only on you, and you know, you got yourself into this mess. You get yourself out. Um, I totally agree. Mm. Uh, they need to make it a level playing field then. Okay. And how do we do that? Well, we need to turn around and say, gamblers, guess what? Roof, you want to ruin your family by gambling? Off you go. Yeah. 
Or if you find you're taking drugs, off you go, but there's no support for you because yeah. you've made that conscious decision. Why is it any different to a food addiction, to gambling, drugs, mm. or anything else? Yeah, it's a tricky one, isn't it? And like we always mention, the problem with the food addictions are like you can't just step away from food. Like you have to stay in the environment. That's the hardest food. addiction to beat because unlike drugs and alcohol, where one eye you can have a substitute yeah. or you can give somebody a drink, you know, uh, a drug that makes them puke. So you know, alcoholic something that they take every day. If they touch alcohol, they puke up. So it stops them wanting to do it. Yeah. But there's nothing you give people to stop them overeating. Well, fortunately, there's people like you now to be able to help those that, that are struggling, right? So, obviously, the Chris at that point wasn't ready. You know, when we spoke about the Chris, it is worse. The Chris that was 212 kilograms wasn't ready. You stepped on the weight scales at the doctors. I remember you saying this. Broken. You've got a doctor saying, Chris, you know, six months, mate, and you're, you're dead and buried. So, if you weren't ready to change then, like, what happened for you to say, I'm ready. I'm fucking here. I'm going to do the work. I need to put my shit out. It was six years, as I say, six years of yo-yo dieting and eventually looking at that guy in the mirror and realized, I thought, because I'd lost weight when I was at my heaviest, I thought he'd gone. And I saw that picture and thought, no, he's back. And that scared living daylights out of me because when I saw him, I thought, I am going to die this time. Because I knew what I told myself before that, that I can't go back to that point. So I thought, right, I need to get help. I then... As they went for this process, oh, I'll go to a gym and all that. And I knew that wasn't working. And I spoke to a friend of mine. And she says, you need to go into a program. Mm. So, well, and I was obviously in Boop at the time. And they went, oh, yeah, okay. you know." Um, so they sent me off to that clinic in the south of, the, south of the England. Um, and then I thought, that's not going to work. So she says, try Overeaters Anonymous. So basically, I joined their program. Um, and it saved my life. But took me to places that I would probably never, ever want to go to again in terms of treatment. You can talk about overeaters anonymous, can't you? Yeah, I can now because I'm blowing my cover. Yeah, you got booted out, right? You got booted out, yeah. It's called overeaters anonymous for a reason where you have to stay anonymous. You can't speak about it. Yeah, you have to. to, If I want to talk about it and stay in it, I'd have to, I could get away with Tibsy and I'd have to go blank screen. Dude, it's like sounds like the fucking Fight Club or something. Like, it's Fight Club, mate. It's Rule Eleven. It's 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 the eleventh tradition. You don't talk about Fight Club. Well, why is that there then? Like, surely um, it would be uh, more helpful if somebody who's in it could talk. So, like, isn't the anonymous thing like? Doesn't that wouldn't that include like? like I can't tell people I'm ashamed. Or is is there a reason for that? Or the reason it is to protect. It's to protect you know, an anonymity of the sponsor who's helping, and it's to help protect the sponsee sponsor who is being helped, because. You know, people can yeah, there's, remember there's a lot of guilt and shame and stigma attached to it. Yeah, I'm wondering whether that helps or hinders the fact that you can't. Uh, it, it, it hinders it. Well, in OA themselves aren't that, you know, they 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 will grow through people talking, through people getting help. Okay. And then it's not about a popularity contest to them. It's not about, you know, getting it. it you know, and if you take people like Russell Brand have promoted it, and was, you know, they, people will find them and they'll go, if you really need that help, you'll find us. And it's a similar thing to like an Alcoholics Anonymous where it's... Same steps. Same. Uh, exactly the same. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Because everyone knows AA and everyone knows about the steps. But when it comes to OA, Overeaters Anonymous, yeah. like, I didn't know that there was like, a famous 12-step. I mean, there's a Hoarders Anonymous. 
You serious? Yeah. That's bet, a compulsive behaviour. I bet sex addicts are ominous as well. Yeah, yeah. The whole compulsive behaviour process. Any any compulsive behaviour, there's probably an ominous program for it. So I guess in the program that you were in, there was people in your similar position, right? Very overweight and trying to sort their stuff. That's the funny thing. My sponsor was an anorexic. Right. And I, I was like freaking out going, how, how, how on earth are you going to know how to help me? Mm. I don't need to know your problem. I'm here to take you through the process. And take you through the process will get you out of this. What was the most helpful step? Four, which was where you basically accept everything that you've done and everybody you've hurt and everybody who's hurt you. What do you do? Do you do you reach out to anybody? Do you write letters? Nine, but step four, you basically step four is the step four is the crux where you gather all of the information that's going to then take you for the remaining steps. So it's of who you've hurt, who's hurt you, instance in your life, but it was probably the one that drove me closest to suicide. I was going to say, I bet that's the most fucking painful thing. Yeah, yeah. If I hadn't had the sponsor, she hadn't taught me down from a rooftop, I probably would have just... Mm. So you thought about killing yourself? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. For a prolonged period of time, or was this just flashes of... of, of uh, I was probably up there for about 10 minutes. Okay. Oh, you were actually up on the top of the building, there, not metaphoric. No, no, I was at the top of the building. What were you thinking when you were standing there? Um, that... Everything that I've done in my life and everything that's been done to me in my life, why the fuck am I bothering? Mm. What was the answer? Why are you bothering? Or why were you bothering? Uh, because actually, I have the I had these I had these issues and I've got to deal with it. And actually, ending it wouldn't actually solve any of the problems because all I'm going to do is create a whole heap of shit for people. I'm not going to. I wouldn't have answered any of the questions. So yeah. my, I was like, my children wonder about my wife. Karma would be going, yo. And they wouldn't have had any answers. They're going, why, you, why have you done it? Because don't forget, at this point, I was doing this in complete secret. I can't wait to read your book. <laughs> we talk about So for, for anybody listening, Chris will have a book out, hopefully this year. Yeah, it will be this year, yeah. Hopefully this year. Sharing your journey and talking through the 12 steps of recovery to emotional eating and so yeah. on. And we, you know, we talk quite closely, don't we, Chris, about yeah. the pain of writing. Um, I think it's, again... We probably both have this fear, you know, it's it's scary encouraging people to do what you do, Chris, and to look at, you know, to look at everything that they've done wrong, everything that's been done wrong to them, and to kind of own it, because it does take you into places that you don't want to go. But I think we might be in agreement here that if you want to move forward, you kind of have to go to those yeah. dark places. Yeah, you do. And, and, and again, um, you know, like I say to people, um, I'm not a therapist, right? I'm not a PT. I'm a guy who's been through this process and has co- been coached and has coached people through this process. So if you think, I as a, I've had 46 people that I've sponsored and got through this process. Uh, I'm on my 47th at the moment, and I've had three failures. You know, and those failures always live with you. You know, you have, you know, you can't. And the thing I always say, you can't save everyone. Because mm. at some point, people go, "I can't be saved." Yeah, and I guess, like, new to the coaching game, you're going to be learning all this. So I still have a bit of an issue with not becoming invested in my client's journey. Yeah. So I still have the the the, the, the downfall of taking their failures a little bit personally. Mm. A hard thing to do, especially when you care and 
you know, because you've been there and you've felt the pain and you, you probably can predict where people will end up if they oh, carry them. Yeah. yeah. I think, you know, it's like when you're coaching, you know, um, coaching people in the one-on-one basis, it's hard, but, and it's, and you see the cycle and you say, you, and you watch the sort of, you know, the, the anger, then the resentment and then the tears and then the acceptance and then back to anger again. It's like, it's just a cycle. I mean, what you just have to do is just, at some point, break that cycle with people. And I think, you know, when you're doing step four, it is, it is hard because you are almost opening yourself up and you are, you know, everything that you've done and has been done to you. So how many more steps different to the Urbanitas Anonymous or are they the same? The, I mean, what, my step and the, their step? Yeah, how are yours? Because you're writing your own step, right? Yeah. yeah. The steps yeah. the so, same. So, so step so in my program, step four is is almost the first step for me. Okay. Because in effect, up to that point, steps one, two, and three is almost your, you know, you've got a problem, you you accept admit you've got a problem, and then you admit that you can't solve the problem yourself. Is it's a easy deal. sorry? It's a big deal that first those first three steps, right? Some people I'm guessing don't even know they've got a problem with food. Oh. Even yeah. though they might be four five ten stone overweight right they'll go on oh, it's all circumstance it's all that it's every it's everybody else's fault by them and you can notice it i'm sure you are like to do it you see some people says stop putting it in your mouth yeah and that's a problem a lot of people go oh well you know just stop eating it well, i've been doing it for 15 years yeah. dude what are some classic signs then that you might have a problem with either emotional binge or just overeating so what what should people look out for uh, in their own lives that might indicate they might have an issue uh, or, or some kind of... Um... Basically, if somebody upsets you, you are eating at them. So I'm going to eat all that cake because my husband shouted at me. So you've got that anger. So you're eating at somebody upsetting you. Yeah. Um, you've got the issue that says... Um, your first response, so your first response on a Friday night is actually the, the takeaway has been delivered before you've even thought about it. So it's, you haven't, you've almost done it without thinking, and then you have got the issue of the fact that um, you're automatically sat down and you've ate five biscuits with a cup of tea without even realising it. So you, it's a habit. So I've got a cup of tea, I've got five biscuits. I've got tea. I've got five biscuits. It's almost a, a, a reaction that they're doing it alongside this thing. Um, then you've got the fact that um, once you've eaten that food, you've got shame and guilt. So if you think, if think I told you quite often about emotional eating and physical, uh, emotional hunger and physical hunger. Emotional hunger, you are craving a specific food. Where if you've got physical hunger, you'll eat anything because you're hungry. Whereas most hungry go, no, I need to eat this. Uh, I need to eat this sugary food. I need to eat this pizza because I'm chocolate. Yeah. That's Whereas if you are physically hungry, anything will do. You know, when you're emotionally hungry, you'll eat and eat and eat and be stuffed. Whereas if you're physically hungry, when you've, when you've had enough, you go, I've had enough now. What about eating off? Um, what about eating your kids' food? Eating yeah, your kids well, food? We can do that. So, so the, there's always the whole. Um, you're finishing people's food. You're yeah. always the person having second portions. Um, you're the person who goes to the fridge. Used to wind me up, but you know, 
people who go into fridge and hunt help themselves and then we'll take like a little bit out of it but then you know you go in and go hold on that's missing or there's it's the packet's been opened and you know or you have cake in there or it's people who are finding the wrappers stuffed down the side of their the, the sofa that's quite common people hide wrappers people yeah like secretly if you if you are frightened to eat in front of people you've got an issue and you need to get in touch with me and see me absolutely and here's another one because again i'm not saying this through judgment i'm saying these are things i've done there are there i used to uh never eat in public like i would in private so in public i would never scoff my face like i would in private i'd be yeah. embarrassed to do that in public it would never happen so i think yeah. that's one thing uh, what about this one? Uh, you constantly uh, like thinking about the next meal that you. And I mean, constantly, like always planning ahead. What meal? Yeah. meal what we're gonna have. Some not, we're not talking about people like you and I who are doing meal prep and meal planning because we're hitting our macros. You're almost going right. I've had breakfast. Uh, right, lunch. I'm gonna. I need to eat this. And actually, yeah, what, what about Tuesday afternoon. You're sitting there going, mm, "What am I gonna? What am I gonna stuff down my face on a Saturday night?" Yeah, you're almost planning that event. You're almost yeah. People who are doing that, then that's creating that binge environment. It's creating that that focus that boot, that food is there to be eaten and and it's to be not enjoyed. People who don't um, people just scoff their food and don't eat or don't think what they're eating. They've just gone before it's even. Dude, even that's me. You've just described me. Yeah, you've just described me. I don't, dude. I don't even chew my food. <laughs> I always get top people are like how have you ate that fast I'm like didn't even chew it didn't even chew it just yeah it's terrible. is that because you're feeding yourself or is it just a learned behaviour um, I don't know actually it's just been something I've done for so so long that yeah. I like we even... often see families people who've got big families right because it's the only way you'd ever get any food is you eat quick oh yeah no it weren't that I've got a small family or uh, the other thing, people who eat standing up. Oh, I can do that, yeah. If you're eating standing up, then that's an issue. You need to obviously you know, deal with that. Um, but then there's, a uh, again, that sort of secret eating, that fear of being seen. As you said, you know, you'll, you'll, in private, you'll just be like, you know, be just scoffing it in like the cookie monster, whereas in public, you people go, my wife used to say to me, Carmen, that's it. she'd go, um, are you okay, Diane? What have you had to eat today? Oh, nothing really. Uh, I've been busy all day. Well, actually, on the way to work, I went to Starbucks and I had a caramel macchiato and a cinnamon swirl. Uh, and then at lunchtime, I'd have had, you know, been to Tesco's and got my, you know, meal deal, you know, and then in the afternoon, I'd have another caramel macchiato and a, and a cinnamon swirl. And then on the way home, I probably scoffed something on the way home and I'd go, oh, I haven't eaten anything today. What was, what was like the biggest binge for you? Like, because you've, you've referred to, is it chocolate hobnobs were your thing? Yeah. yeah. Tarbons is still my trigger food. How, how many packets of those could you take down? Uh, oh, my record is six in a day. Six packets in a day. And Domino's pizza was another one, right? Domino's pizza. My record for Domino's pizza is three large pizzas. That's decent. That's a bit, yeah. And they're about two and a half thousand calories each, right? Um, and then I told you, you know, the story. So there's a, there used to be a restaurant in um, Harrogate called the Cattlemen's Association. I don't know if it's still there. Look how proud to... you look. You look so proud right now. <laughs> Um, there used to be a steak challenge, seventy-two ounce steak. Yeah, right with all the trimmings. Yeah, I got barred because I did it three times, three weekends on the bounce. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> insane. But mate, it's a fucking, it's an open house, right? 
Like, not that I'm encouraging that kind of yeah. behavior, but the fact that I, you... I, I mate, my, the lads used to love me because we'd go all hot foods. So we used to go to curry house and they walk in and go, what's your hottest curry? Fowl. Yeah, okay. Make it extra hot. And I go, if I eat it, can we get it? our meal for half price? Yeah. It's also challenging the chefs in the kitchen then, aren't you? See, that's the kind of thing that really doesn't help a beat. You know when they do these crazy food challenges? Like, you, you watch Man vs. Food, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, 72-ounce steak, dude, is a big deal. I mean, I'm thinking I've done a 32 before, and steaks are hard food. It's hard to digest. 72-ounce yeah. is, and I'm guessing there's chips on the side of that. Oh, there's chips. There was onion rings. There was coleslaw. But that's it. You kind of get the, the, the recognition for that. You kind of get the tap on the back for doing that. It's, 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 like, um, it's like McDonald's. I got um, um, trying not to smile about this. Um, getting asked to leave from McDonald's, nineteen double cheeseburgers, and you wanted your twentieth, and the manager goes, "I'm not serving you. You're putting people off." Dude, we—I mean, we can laugh at this, but that's when you know you've got some serious issues regarding yeah. food. Um, right. And so you said before about did anyone even pull me up from eating? So, but I used to be a consultant. Um, quite often, you know, I submitted expenses for my meals and i used to get a 20 pound a night dinner allowance but of course i could go to kfc and get a bonus box it was only 12.99 yeah so i used to get a bonus box for my meal allowance yeah and, and they go did you eat all that to yourself I went oh yeah of course i did i went that's a lot to eat isn't it i went look i've just saved you seven quid what's your problem well that's that's for a family of four right yeah yeah four fries four sides and about 12 chicken fillets and then a popcorn chicken as well do you know what, dude? I, like, I'm smiling, but it's quite upsetting to hear you, like, to think of you doing that. Because it is, that's, a, that's like, you, you hurting yourself right there, isn't it? That's you, yeah, punishing you. Like, I know we can both have a laugh about it now, but it's... it's that's what I was fun. doing. I was just punishing myself. It was me finding that solace. It was me going, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. yeah so, so let's go back to you being 212 kilos and then starting over Nita's Anonymous. From that point then, did it progressively get better? Like, was was OA the turning point for you? Was that it? It was, it was. and I think the reason I... I think they've changed it now. In fact, I know they've changed it now. Um, they talk a lot about abstinence. And in the beginning, it makes a lot of sense because basically you cut everything out. And I remember the first... Part, I went to meet my daughter in Liverpool and I had a major meltdown because everywhere I looked, there was food. Mm. There is. You know, there's McDonald's, there was Burger King, there's a donut shop, there was Subway. And I was also in a state of panic because I was almost being drawn into these shops. And I was probably about four weeks into recovery. And I was in a state of panic. So I responses, I really don't know what to do. I'm literally being pulled. You know, and my daughter blushed. She's going, you're okay, Dad? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I I, she needed to eat. I know, that's it. Like, yeah, everyone else will, will yeah. have to carry on, right? I'm guessing the kids want to have She says, oh, well, Daddy, can we go to pizza? Oh, my God. Shit, yeah. So basically, yeah, yeah, we can go in there. And she's like, okay. And, uh, and she says, oh, I'll have the buffer. I was like, oh, thank God, thank God, thank God, thank God. And basically, I just she had to just eat salad. Pizza. Because I was almost like, I couldn't have, because I could have just then just sat demolishing pizza and pasta. I'm like, no, just have salad, just have salad. And that was really like difficult. And that was really stressful. And I think, you know, and then because of abstinence, I was like, I cut these foods out. But then I wanted to move on to a food plan. And then I got to cut them out for good. I was like, no, I can't cut them out for good. So then moved to an eating plan that made life a lot easier for me. Because then go, <clears throat> I knew I couldn't have hobnobs. I knew I couldn't have 
uh, Domino's. And, and we've had this debate before. You know, I can eat any other pizza, but Domino's would trigger me. Doesn't trigger me anymore because I know the secret. You have one of the thin crust bases, and that's fine. Really? I've never yeah. tried one. Dude, I swear they put a lot on those Domino's. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of time. I've had one. I'll never have one again. But so, I swear they smother it in heroin or something, or some kind of cocaine. All it is, it's the stuff around the outside. It's that garlic thing. It's the, it's the drizzle. It, it, it truly is. If you check, if you speak, Domino's have got a special thing that I don't. That it's, it's the thing around the outside. Yeah, when you say special thing, what the fuck is special thing? Somebody told me it was lard. They put lard on it. No, but whatever it is, it, it's highly addictive. It's highly addictive. Oh, I agree. Yeah. I agree. I'm, I'm with you, dude. Domino's is my thing, man. Like, yeah, I think it's amazing. Yeah. Like, do you even believe the calorie advice like, on these things? Do you think they just start, like, it wouldn't surprise me if I found out actually there's 350 calories in this slice, not 250. Like, none, no, none of this would shock me if a lot of food industries come out and went, actually, the calories yeah. on the label is all bullshit. It's just, we don't know what the fuck's in yeah, it. Yeah, that would be interesting. Well, I suppose you'd have to say that they legally it has to be right doesn't it but that's their assumption based on their one they make in the test kitchen yeah i think they 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 that's off the like you say a test yeah and then they obviously try and replicate but i think is there a temp is it 10 percent they're allowed to go either side so yeah yeah. they they always say obviously due to the handmade nature of our products yeah we could uh you know because if you've got somebody who's a bit too generous with the cheese Imagine, but you know, they put the wrong cheese on, or put too much cheese on. It's like, hmm, God, that's a there's, there's a few, but there's another fifty calories. I wasn't accounted to have on that slice. So eating plan, um, I'm big into eating plans. I think uh, eating plans are far more successful than people who have calorie targets. Would you agree? I agree. I think eating plan again. I hate the only time I'd ever use the word diet is if I was doing something with you for a specific outcome. Because you give yeah. me a specific diet, or if I had a illness that said I had to have a celiac diet, or I had to have a lacto-free diet. But the word diet, when it's banded around the industry, it's not. It's an eating plan. Would you that be easier for you if you were celiac? If you were, you know, if you had a, a medical condition that said, Chris, you can't eat these foods, you can't eat gluten, you can't eat this. Do you think I would have made it easier rather than just, well, Chris, just you've got a you've got a problem with food, you can't eat this and that. Uh, no, I don't think so. I would just find a way around it. Yeah. Some people don't care, though. They've got their celiac and they eat gluten. Yeah. Like, sometimes it, that won't even stop people. No, uh, then, obviously then that, you know, again, doesn't stop people. Then they have massive is- issues and massive problems. Yeah. So you went on this epic journey, right, from 212 kilos to to your current weight. And, yeah, yeah. you can fucking smile, dude. You should. You're super <laughs> proud. That's epic. And I think, dude, obviously, look, you must have learned a lot about yourself drawing that transition, the character, the stubbornness mm-hmm. that you've got, uh, your ability to graft, your ability to grind, your ability to transform. Like, what were the what were the main things that you learned during that time? And what, what were the main challenges and what were the main victories for you during that, that 100 kilo loss? Um, main challenge was belief. And it's interesting because it's only happened this year and only probably happened about, five weeks ago I always viewed no matter how slim I got I always thought I was this big guy so for a lean period and your body dysmorphia they talk about quite a lot but for quite a long time I'd look in the mirror 
I'd see the fat guy looking back at me. No matter how much weight I lost, yeah. I'd see it back. And even recently, I never actually realised how... I use the word normal. I now look. And it wasn't until I was in Scotland with John and Grant from More Than Fitness, and there's a photo of the three of us at Edinburgh Castle. I'm in the middle, and I look the same. Yeah. <laughs> right, it's the first time I've ever looked at a photo, and I've gone, actually, I'm normal. I'm not that big fat guy. And that's probably for me has been the biggest, the biggest challenge was overcoming the fact that I'm not fat Chris. Because mm. fat Chris, and that's the fear that drives me is that fat Chris is always going to, and he's always there. And I say, you know, people go, oh, you're okay. I've lost weight. I said, no, I'm in recovery. I am one slip away from going back there. Yeah. Which I think is the thing that will probably fuel, fuel you not to go back, not to make the wrong decisions, if that makes sense. Yeah, it is. And I'm one slip away, you know. And it's not the same as an alcoholic or drug addict, but it is because once I start, you know, what's going to stop me? What's going to stop me? And remember our debate the first time we went together, and I said, Alex, I just need some help to stop me going to eat really 20 chicken nuggets in my, in Cologne. Yeah, yeah. And I, at the time I thought, fucking hell, is this, is this all I'm helping this guy with? But no, then going on to find out what I know about you, like I think you're just so tuned in now to know where that could potentially lead. Yeah, and I, and I think, think what, what people aren't, I don't think people are aware, Chris. So they don't realize that, you know, a couple of weekends in a row, yeah, it's not going to kill you, but like it's the start of something. It's the spiral. Yeah. People always go back and forward and they don't notice that quick enough. It's too late before they do. And once it started, for me, once it would start, it would be, it would be big. Once I lose control, it will be every night. Mate, I'm with you. Everything. I'm with you. Yeah, this is why I'm so ruthless with the guys in DX. I'm like, because, yeah. you know, you drop your standards today and the next day and the next day and then and then fucking what? Like, it's only going to get worse. You're not, you're not going to get, don't, I mean, you've got to notice these things before they creep in. Like, you can yeah. only fuck up so many times. Yeah. You've got to notice that it's tough. So this book's coming out and people are going to be able to read it and they're going to be able to learn how not only you went through the journey, but they can get a handle on their eating habits as well. Is that right? Yeah, it'll be basically it'll be yeah, a guide, guide for them to. It'll be what we teach in our program. What's it called? Have you got a name yet? Uh, working title is from Fat Dad to Fit Dad. From Fat Dad to Fit Dad. That's a working title. That might not be the same title at the end of the book. Yeah, I like it. That's like a working it. title at the moment. That's one of the most exciting parts: picking the title of the book. It is. It is, and I think yeah, I think just I think going back to that question you asked about the whole what do you you know that not getting sucked into, I think, you know, realizing the journey you've been on, right? And realizing that it's not going to end, you know, and it's never going to end. I think that's what people have to accept. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that stops some people from starting because like you say, it's, it's a never ending transformation, but I, I believe it's the only way. And I, I think you can reframe that into a positive because you don't have to sort your shit out in 12 weeks. You don't have to get everything nailed in 12 weeks. You just have to make some progress at yeah. some point. And if you keep doing that, you get an epic transformation. Can you imagine telling the 212 kilogram guy that you had to lose 110 kilos? You'd be like, fuck that, I'm done. I can't do that. But you know what I told myself every day, and it's in my mantra every day, and, I've, and I have said it to myself every day for four years, is... I will be happy if I get to the end of the day and I've not binge yet or over it. Yeah, one day at a time process. One day. 
Because as you say, if you told somebody two and twelve kilos, uh, yeah, you know, in in twelve months you'll have dropped, you know, you'll be a hundred kilos. They're looking at you. I can't do that. It's impossible. Mm. But it's like, and it, and it stems from alcoholics. Honestly, you know, if you turn on an alcoholic, alcoholic says you're never going to drink again. Well, one, are you going to push them over there because they're just going to get pissed? Yeah. Or, yeah, but you say no. All you got to do is get through the end of today and not drink. And you wake up the next day and the next day, and before you know, it, you've done twenty years. But you know, you have to acknowledge it. And I, I have to know that I will never ever be able to overeat again. Yeah, I'll have a day when I eat a lot. You know, but that's because I can manage it, and I can. It's not. I'm doing it because I choose to do it, not because my mind's making me do it. And now you help other people. I do. Yes, you were always going to end up here, right? I don't believe you can go through such a journey. You, no. You're going to care too much. Yeah, I always. Too. And if you think about it, I did it through OA. You know, I did it what 46 people. So I was doing it anyway. Um, but it was easier doing that than it is doing this. Uh, tell me more. What do you mean? I think it was because the people had come to you at that point. Right. Nothing else. Because as soon as you step into the steps program, when you get to step three and you go, yeah, I am proper fucked. I need help. Mm. They then come and they work with you on step four. At step four, they get a sponsor and you know that they're ready to work with you. What's the biggest challenge now that you see for people? Um, not accepting. I mean, the challenge is it's just acceptance. It's acceptance that that you can have everything you want when you want it. And, and you know, I'm going to jump on the bandwagon, right? This whole body beautiful thing, right? Yeah, it's great to embrace things. But actually, you know, you need to look at the underlying reasons why people are that way what are they doing to themselves yeah i i don't care if you are look if you want to be two stone overweight and you're comfortable with that i'm not there to tell you but what i am passionate about is setting that example for the next generation setting that thing that says you need to be healthy you need to be the best person you can be you need to look at what you're doing because i know from personal experience right my three children are morbidly obese and that's all down to me. That's all down to me. Because of what they saw me do and their mother do, and the fact that we didn't teach them right from wrong. It's very brave to admit that. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. It's and there's too many people out there who will shove fast food down their kids' throats, all convenient, all that, because guess what? It's easy. Mm. It's too easy to pick up the phone and phone just eat. It's too easy to take them to a drive through and, and, and throw their McDonald's in the back. And go, there you go, off you go. Because that is creating a set of behaviours that people don't, you know. I remember, you know, you remember, you know, when you were young, God, you know, takeaways are like an exciting thing. Now it's almost a week, it's almost a daily occurrence in some households. Well, I think that's where, yeah, you're right, dude. It was, uh, we'll go to a McDonald's and as a kid, you'd get so thrilled because it was like a rare treat, you know, and it would be a, something different. But yeah, I think you're right. Now it's like, you know, you nip down the road, McDonald's is there, Subway's yeah. that way, is that way, and, and, and McDonald's, it's, it's insane. And the worrying thing that I hear, Chris, is like people will say, oh, I'll treat myself at the weekend. And then you have a look at their food diary and their entire week's a fucking treat. It is. Oh, do you know what? And it winds me up, right? Again, you know, <laughs> fucking cheat days. No, your fucking life's a cheat. Yeah. yeah. 
Because I think that's it. The, the new normal is the old cheat day from years ago. But now that's just normal. So to cheat now, you have to go even further. Yeah. It's like a cheat. You have to have a, you know, a takeaway and loads of booze and some chocolate and this and that. That's now a cheat. And you think our people, and you'll see them in the gym, you know, they're, they're, they're good with you all week, you know, four or five days, and Friday night, they're fucking it. And then Saturday, they're in the, they're eating away Sunday. And they're, oh yeah, I've ruined my weekend. And the amount of people I speak to, it's like binges. I say to people, right, you are never, ever going to get rid of binge eating because it's always going to happen. You're always going to have a slip and you're going to have a relapse. It happens, right? But the trick is to make sure that that relapse is as short as possible. Mm. So the relapse might be just one meal. Because you and I both know one meal, you can catch that back. If that one meal becomes a day, you've got a problem. If that one meal then becomes a weekend, you are in serious difficulty because you, the amount of excess calories you can do. And you and I both know we work with people who have that problem. Mm. And they, they go, well, I fucked it now. No, no, no. You've just ate too many calories on a meal. Just forgive yourself, move on, and don't make the same mistake. I'd say that's people's biggest downfall in any journey, you know. They're expecting things to go perfectly, expecting things to go to plan, and then not being able to handle a setback. Yeah. Yeah. And setting, literally setting themselves up to fail. Yeah, they Set- do. And like, this perfect plan, this perfect life. No, it, fucking life's not perfect. So, dude, if anyone wants to work with you, I know you run, uh, well, you, you're running three five-day challenges. When's your next one? Uh, next five-day challenge is probably going to be starting, where's my calendar? Uh, it will be on the, uh, what day is that, 3rd of May. Cool. Well, that was a really poor question because people might listen to this at any point. That's probably the better, better thing for me to do is where can people check out your stuff on Facebook? Transform. Uh, yeah, transform uh, at, t- was it, T-Transform. Two T's, three six five, uh, or the Emotional Eating Coach UK, um, or Please Transform three six five on Instagram as well, or they can go to my website at www.transform365.co.uk. Cool, my man, it's been a pleasure, dude. I've got to say, um, out of all of the clients I've I've ever worked with, um, working with you has been, well, not been, is phenomenal. <laughs> um, yeah, well, like I say you ought you instantly, and I think I should declare that I didn't help you lose 100 kilos in case people think I've been part of your journey. But I instantly, um, you instantly gained my respect when you told me your journey. I think it's phenomenal. Yeah. Um, I'm immensely proud of what you what you've done, and the fact that now you've got the courage to step away from the job that wasn't serving you anymore, uh, and now you're challenging yourself yet again. I call you Big Balls, Chris, because yeah. You've just got fucking courage, dude, and steel. And and I think it's part of the struggle that you went through is why you've got so much courage. So, mate, I really hope it works out. I know you're going to help a lot of people, and I think you're going to make a fantastic coach. Thanks, mate. I appreciate that. Really... Uh, you're very welcome. Right. Uh, I'll give you the final word, dude, before we hit before we hit end broadcast, because I've got to do a training at 8 p.m. I know, yeah, I'm thinking, it just popped up my finger. Right, um, uh, oh, is that it? Yeah. yeah. So you know, I'm going to give you the last word, my man. Okay. Um, if you do fail... Forgive yourself. Mr. Chris Tibbetts, thank you so much, brother. Okay, cheers, buddy. See you later.